Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. A good evening to each and every one of you. It is a pleasure and an honor to have you here with me as we face down a gauntlet of paranormal parables, creepy chronicles, and true terrifying tales. Now I have an amazing show lined up for you this evening and one hell of a bonus program afterwards as well. Now, if you've visited with us before, welcome back. However, if you're a newcomer, it's probably best to start with the lights on. Because things are about to get hairy. Tyler, from Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. Hey, Derek. This is Tyler from Wisconsin. Love the show, by the way. I wanted to call in and give a story to you guys about something that happened to me when I was about 15 years old. So I grew up in Wisconsin, and uh, more specifically, I lived in a town at the time called Maiden Rock, Wisconsin. And a buddy of mine whose parents, well, his mom's boyfriend, lived up, like, kind of in the same town as me, but, like, way up on a hill and kind of, like, out in the middle of nowhere. So he calls me up one day, and he goes, Hey, man, we're going to be in town. I'm going to go up and see her boyfriend. And I was like, oh, cool, pick me up, you know. So we go up there, and it's for his grandma, I guess, her birthday party. And she's an elderly lady and whatnot. So we're kind of just hanging out throughout the day. And then um, at night, him and I were kind of like, hey, let's go, uh, let's go walk around. Let's go walk up the road and go down, you know, kind of like by the woods and everything like that. Just bull crapping and everything like that. So we walk up there, and it's kind of getting later you know it's about 7 30 8 30 at night something like that and we're just talking about stuff at the time we were huge wrestling fans so we were just talking about wrestling so uh we're kind of just probably about one to two feet away from each other and we started throwing rocks in the woods just you know what kids do i guess throwing rocks and sticks and everything like that in the woods and we're doing this for a, a couple minutes and uh all of a sudden, I feel like a rock pecked me on my shoe. And I was I kind of just looked at him like, hey, man, like, you throwing stuff at me? It's getting darker, so you can't really see, you know? And he's like, nah, man, I didn't do that. So I was like, okay. So we continue to do whatever we're doing. I don't really remember. And we're just throwing rocks and stuff in there. And he, he feels a rock peck him in the shoulder. And he just kind of looks at me like, well, that's weird. Now we've both been hit with rocks. And we're kind of like okay this is kind of weird so we stop and we just hear like this rustling and it's just this unbearable smell and him and i both knew like something wasn't right there and we're kind of like 
inching away from the spot or whatever and then i can only describe it as what it sounds like would be like knocks like big heavy knocks a couple of them and they sounded like they're a few feet apart from each other so i'm like okay that's that's very strange then it seemed like something somebody or something i don't know if it was somebody playing a prank on us but it didn't seem like it uh there's nobody that really lived up there other than his mom's boyfriend and his mom then there wasn't like any houses up there from what i remember and then all of a sudden it's like somebody or something took a handful of rocks and stones and everything and just tossed them our way and we just got pelted with rocks and we knew then we had to run so we booked it back to the house of course his parents and everything didn't believe us. Nobody believed us. And when I got home, I told my mom the story and she didn't really believe me or anything. And I don't know. I don't know what it was. Obviously, it sounds like Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And it's just weird because I've never heard anything about Bigfoot or Sasquatch being up in the middle of Wisconsin. So I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. Um, if you have any ideas of what it is, let me know or whatever. So uh, appreciate the show. I've been listening to it every single night that I work. So um, thanks for the hard work. Keep it up. See you later. Thank you, Tyler. Now perhaps you jumped to the same conclusion that Tyler and I did and branded Bigfoot as the bad guy. Well, I certainly wouldn't blame you if you did. However, we should point out that this could easily have been some jokesters or perhaps some kids playing in the woods. I'd say the odds of that happening are probably much greater than it being Bigfoot. But you didn't come here to hear all that. You came here looking for monsters. And who am I to let you down? So let's start by answering Tyler's question. Is Sasquatch reported in the state of Wisconsin? Well, the answer to that is complicated. But to put it short, yes and no. Wisconsin is known for all sorts of cryptic creatures. The mythical Hodag, the Beast of Bray Road, and of course their lake serpents. Rocky from Rock Lake, the Devil's Lake Monster, and the Lake Winnebago Monster as well. They're all well known in that region. But when it comes to Sasquatch, there's just not that much information out there. Apparently, there can only be one upright hairy cryptid in an area, and the beast of Bray Road seems to already be top dog. But there have been sightings reported, especially in the western reaches of the state. Mountain and Whitewater, Wisconsin both come to mind. So in summary, they've been seen, but I certainly wouldn't call the Badger State a hotspot. But, and any longtime listener will tell you there's always a but, but nearby Minnesota and southern Ontario are more known for their hairy hominid sightings. At one such location, only some 500 short miles north of the town that Tyler lived in, sits a secluded lake in the wilds of Ontario, Canada. Now the closest town to this lake is tiny, 10 to 15,000 people, and it's 200 miles away. So visitors to this small natural lake must take a floater plane to gain access. And that is where our story begins. You may recognize the name Snellgrove Lake, 
as it was featured on the prominent cryptid-themed program Monster Quest more than once. But if you didn't catch those episodes, allow me to catch you up. The owner of a small cabin on the lake discovered that his cabin was ransacked over the winter. But given the time of year and the absence of claw and teeth marks, most experts agreed that it was not a bear that broke into the cabin. But as I'd mentioned, the remote cabin was just that remote. If it were simply juvenile delinquents, they'd have to walk over 100 miles just to get to the cabin. And long story short, the Monster Quest team got word of these break-ins and sent a team to investigate. And believe it or not, rumors about a Sasquatch-like creature calling the lake home began to appear true. Because on their final night, activity began that you and Tyler both just might find interesting. It is the team's final night at Snowgrove Lake. After three days of noise and foraging, they are still holding out hope for an encounter. At around midnight, without warning, something happens. They're going to be watching us this whole time. Of course. Something has thrown a rock at the camp. Did you hear that? That rock was pretty good size. I'm still shaking. And one of us was urinating off the porch About yeah. when the first stone hit the side of the cabin. This rock on the side of the building was bang. That's scary. It's, it's amazing. Huh? It's always stuff you hear about that doesn't happen to you. I've been in the woods a lot. Camera crews scan the immediate area with the night vision and thermal cameras as the team retreats into the cabin. One crew member threw a rock back into the woods, only to have another rock thrown back. Uh, and that was followed shortly after by a, a rather larger rock uh, bouncing down the roof of the cabin. This is quite quite distinct. Uh, obviously there's nothing in the woods that's uh, recognized anyway that can lob rocks in that fashion. And we're all together. I'm with everybody so I know that it's nobody goofing around. We came in from outside and we're 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 cowering in here. I'm I'm afraid for the first time and it was for sure a rock and it was for sure on the roof of the building. Of course that clip is courtesy of the Sasquatch Attack episode of the History Channel program Monster Quest. And as I'm sure you've noticed Pretty much the same activity was reported by Tyler in his initial call, rock throwing. Now I imagine many folks are probably confused by this, wondering why rock throwing is so significant. Well, it excites us researchers for a couple of reasons. For starters, only humans and primates can throw objects. And as we know, there are no recognized primate species in North America, save for us humans. So that certainly narrows down our options. But perhaps the most significant aspect to those strange reports is the fact that rock throwing is a trait commonly known to be shared among primates. Here is some information provided by the Jane Goodall Institute with some wisdom from the good doctor herself. In Gombe, nine different chimp tool behaviors have been witnessed. They use twigs to fish for termites out of their mounds sticks as probes to get into a tree ant nest or inspect an object, rocks as hammers to open fruit, and use leaves as a sponge to soak up water to drink. They flail sticks and throw rocks as weapons to intimidate other animals. 
or even use sharp sticks as spears. Chimpanzee youngsters can learn by observing, imitating, and practicing. They learn by watching their mother, especially, but also brothers, sisters, other individuals in the group. And this behavior isn't limited to chimps. Gorillas, orangutans, and several other smaller monkeys all share this oddly human-like behavior. So, perhaps you can understand why us researchers perk up at the mention of rock-throwing. If we discover that it's not another human out there tossing these rocks, well then, we have some serious questions to ask ourselves. A big thanks, Tyler, for sharing the entry. Regardless of who or what unleashed the barrage of rocks, it made for one hell of a tale. Now, if you also have a true paranormal story, please call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now, next up, we venture to the Garden State of New Jersey, where Rupert is waiting with an entry. Hey, Derek. My name is Rupert. I'm from New Jersey. I've been listening to your podcast for about a month and a half now, randomly. Almost caught up. I love it. I have a couple stories I wanted to call in, but I'll start with this one. I live in a ranch house built in 1985. It's not a very old house. I don't think anybody died in it, but there's been some weird things happening in it. And it all started back when my wife's sister lived with us for about a month and a half. And she told me she saw a man walking in my hallway that was bald and had glasses. And she said for some reason she felt that his name was Paul. Now, I, I brushed it off because it, nothing's ever happened to me. I've never felt anything, any kind of creepiness in this house. It's just been normal. It, it feels home, homey, you know? It feels like home. So she moved out, and it was uneventful for a while. And then one day, I was walking into my kitchen from my living room, and on top of my refrigerator, which is very, very solid, does not wiggle, does not wobble. The floor is very solid by it, does not vibrate or rattle at all. We kept a bottle of wine up there whenever we had one as a backup for my wife. And it was a bottle of red wine, so it sat there for a while. She doesn't like red wine that much, so it was up there. I would look at it every time I walked from the kitchen to the living room, and it was always in the same spot, never moved. But one day, I was walking the other way, and I heard this loud bang behind me. And I turned behind me, and the bottle of wine was on the floor. Now, I did try to debunk it. I put it back up there. I tried sliding it with my hands. It didn't slide very easy, and I tried pushing it with my hand toward the edge of the fridge, and it inched a little bit at a time. But every time I looked at it prior to that night, it was back about four inches on the refrigerator. So why it fell, I don't know. Again, brushed it off. Had to be some crazy thing, even though I couldn't replicate it. But um, then this happened. (laughs) I came home one day from work, and I have a yellow lab and I let her out every day. I call her, she comes down the hall. We used to have a gate that we propped up in front of the bedroom door so she wouldn't be tempted to run around the house and eating things. It was only laying against the door frame. So when I came home, I would call her, she would just push it over and come down the hall and I would let her out. One day I called her, she didn't come. I thought my wife left her outside because she had done that before previously a few times. So I looked outside, she wasn't outside. I called my wife, I said, I don't know where the dog is. And she said, I don't know where the dog is either. And I looked through the whole house, and I found her. And this is the weird thing. So my son's room is across the hall from my room. He has a loft bed 
against the wall, and then the wall at the foot of his bed leaves about two and a half to three feet of space between the bookshelf and his bed. And it's not wide enough for the gate to get in there easily, but the dog was backed into that little corridor with the gate laying on top of her on a 45-degree angle. For that to, to even happen, she would have had to have knocked the gate over, somehow turned around, hooked it to herself, backed up into his room, backed up into that little corridor, and then stayed there. It doesn't make any sense. I couldn't figure it out. I thought someone was in the house. I looked all over the house. I checked for signs of breaking in. There was nothing. It was very bizarre, and I still can't figure out how it happened. She was terrified in the bedroom there, laying in the hallway there, the corridor. So she recovered quickly, and I just can't figure it out. And that's about my time, and I'll call you back with my mom's UFO story next time. Thank you very much for everything. Thank you to all your listeners for sharing their stories. I really enjoy the podcast. Keep going. Thank you, Derek. Bye. Thanks, Rupert. Now, this story, at least in my eyes, reminds me of some of these hauntings that are associated with the land the home sits on rather than some spirit attached to the house itself. I say that because of a gut feeling. Based on six or seven years of hearing reports just like this, I have no concrete evidence. But if you've tried everything else, maybe try that rubric. See what stood there or in that area before your home was built. With a home that young, finding information should be fairly easy. I bet most old-timers would have been around when it was built. Now, of course, there is another angle that can be explored here, and that's the suggestion that the sister-in-law may actually have some sort of attachment that she brought back to the home. Maybe you guys can open that bottle of red wine and share some ghost stories. Maybe she'll fess up to some other experiences. Now, hopefully, between those two suggestions... You can get at least a few answers, Rupert. And I'm happy to hear the pup recovered. I can only imagine the terrors that she experienced. Thanks again for sharing the call. Now, for the following entry. We need to venture slightly north, where we focus our energy on the skies above Massachusetts. Nate, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, my name's Nate, I'm from Massachusetts. I had just recently heard an episode, I think it was episode 12, season 9, a woman named Hillary had called in talking about Route 2 West, and I happen to live right around the area, and I can tell you firsthand that it's not just Route 2 West that has some strange happenings, but it's all of the towns in the surrounding area. So, I live pretty close to where she was talking about seeing the shadow person behind her car. And I can remember probably about, I don't know, it's been a while, maybe 10 years ago, a buddy of mine were on our way to a nearby mall. We were going to the movies. I can't for the life of me remember what movie we were going to see. But we had just pulled off of Route 2 West in a town called Lemonster. And all of a sudden, and and it wasn't dark it wasn't nighttime or anything like that it was probably around like four or five o'clock in the afternoon and we see these three lights in the sky a stone throws like height it wasn't you know super high in the sky and it was three lights in the shape of a triangle and this thing was massive 
It didn't make any sound. It didn't, you know, do anything crazy, but it just kind of hovered and it kind of went over us. And I remember we pulled the car over. We got out. We stood right underneath it. Again, there was zero sound whatsoever. And we're looking up and we're watching this thing pass. And then we see it go over the tree line, disappears. We get back in the car, like nothing happened. We go to the movie, we watch the movie, and it wasn't until maybe about an hour or two after the movie was over that we were both looked at each other kind of like, wait a minute, what the hell was that thing? It was almost like whatever it was was trying to force us to forget, or I don't know, maybe it was just so out of control and you know out of this world that our brains took that long to process it. But I'm convinced that that night we saw a UFO. I also have a lot more stories about, you know, Route 2 and like the surrounding towns in that area. I know Lancaster is one of the towns that I also live by. And there's a lot of history coming from Lancaster, Massachusetts, involving, you know, the Native Americans. I believe that is one of the oldest towns in the United States. I know that there's a cemetery out there called Old Settler Cemetery. And they got some tombstones dating back to the 1600s. So, you know, me and my buddies used to go around like ghost hunting. When that show Ghost Hunters came out, we wanted to be cool like them. So we just bought an EMF detector and ran around in the night. But I got some pretty cool stories about uh, the area and, you know, things that happened. If you're interested in hearing them, I'd be more than happy to call back. I absolutely love your podcast. I can't even tell you how many long days of work that uh, you have gotten me through. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thanks, Derek. We appreciate the entry, Nate. You know, if only I got a small percentage of those long hours I help people get through. I'd be rich, I tell you. I'm glad I could be along to help you out. It goes without saying, if you have additional stories, of course, I'd love to hear them. By all means, call those in. Now, as for the sighting itself... The account Nate gave is eerily similar to another sighting I'm familiar with. Now, I found this clip a few years back, and I might have even shared it here on the show at some point. But when I heard Nate's story, I instantly was reminded of this gem via WCVB, ABC News 5, out of Boston. The spring of 1979 proved to be the most active period of documented UFO sightings in the history of the Bridgewater Triangle region. During that time, former WHDH reporters Jerry Lopes and Steve Sprasia claimed to have witnessed what is arguably the most famous UFO sighting to occur within the Bridgewater Triangle. Jerry Lopes and I worked at WHDH Radio, and we were heading down to the Raynham Dog Track, and when we got off 24 onto 106, I noticed this really bright light over the tree line, and the light was coming closer and closer and getting bigger and bigger. And I remember saying to Jerry, what is that over there? So we pulled his vehicle over, and all of a sudden the stars blotted out in the shape of an arrow as this thing passed overhead. Ironically, big baseball fan, it looked like a baseball home plate, and there were a series of lights on it. And it was very, very wide. Perhaps the width of now, we'd say, 5747s wing to wing. It looked like it had a little cord or something hanging off it, and sparks were, were coming off of it. I almost felt like I could throw a rock at the thing. It seemed that close to me. I'm an Air Force veteran. I've been in the Air Force for four and a half years. I've been around a number of different planes, and I said to Steve, 
that's not one of ours. And it just hovered there for a minute, and the next thing you know, it just kind of just took off. We continued on to the dog track, and most of the conversation that evening was, what did we see? Up to that point, I had been 100% skeptic. I thought anybody who ever saw these things, they were either crazy or publicity hounds, or there was just something wrong with them in their head altogether. What I didn't realize at the time was that a lot more people had seen it than just Jerry and I. You don't need to be, well, whatever I am to see the connection here. The general shape of the object is the same. The craft's behavior is the same. The altitude of which the craft is hovering is the same. It all just seems very similar. Now here's the biggest kicker of all. Although these two incidents took place some 35 years apart, the distance between each sighting is less than 20 miles. So I guess if you find yourself in that part of the country, you better look up. And of course, if you see something, you gotta let us know. Thanks again, Nate. I hope that video helped at least a little. The link is in the show notes if you want to watch it in its entirety. Okay. I know I come at you each week, hawking the latest in Monsters Among Us wear. And I'm sure you're sick of it. So this week, I'll give you a break. And instead, I suggest you find a paranormal artist on Instagram or Etsy, and buy something you like from them. These artists work incredibly hard, and, as you'll quickly notice, are abundant in talent. I have an office full of artwork from our community. Now, if you don't know where to start, I suggest you begin in the Monsters Among Us family. Brett Manning Art, Cryptid Zoo, Jamie Murray, Greg Johnson... The Art of Eerie Eric, Liz Pavlovic Design, Jordan Hirschberger, Maximus Prime Art, Hog Island Press, and of course, Jonathan Dodd. Now there's obviously many more talented artists out there. We just haven't worked with them yet. So please, help support our community. And get you something creepy this weekend. Now... What do you say we revisit the ghostly realm? Paige from Colorado. Tell us about your experience. Hi, I'm Paige, and I just wanted to call and share my story. I recently started listening to your podcast, and I think it's great, and it just inspired me to share my story that I had a few years ago. I had been dating this guy for a few years, his parents are pretty wealthy, actually, so they have a really big, beautiful house. They lived in a house outside of Denver, Colorado. So, you know, lots of trees, very beautiful, but very eerie at the same time. So my first experience at his house was when we were sitting in his living room watching TV one day, when all of a sudden... I mean, as clear as day, there was no mistaking the sound, but it sounded like somebody above us just walked across the room from one end of the room to the next. And I remember kind of looking at him, my eyes got really big, and he just kind of shrugged and said, oh yeah, my parents' house is haunted. And I thought, well, okay then, um, that's good to know. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> 
little things here and there would happen. You know, we would hear noises. I'd see shadows out of the corner of my eye. Um, I'm not super gullible. I like to believe in things, but I also am rational at the same time. I'm realistic in my thinking, and I always try to explain away something, but sometimes there's just, like, you just can't explain something. Another really scary night that I had was I was watching their house for them while they went out of town one weekend and the bad news is that I was there by myself which was terrifying but the good news is I had his dog Roscoe with me which uh, Roscoe is a full-bred pit bull and so he's very very sweet very very cute and loving but he's very protective and will defend his house if he needs to so I always felt very comfortable with Roscoe being around and basically was not able to sleep with the lights off or without Roscoe near me. So one night, um, I'll never forget this, I was getting ready for bed. I was, you know, just kind of brushing my teeth, getting ready for bed, putting the TV on, you know, getting under the covers, getting comfortable. When all of a sudden Roscoe, who's sitting on the bed with me, looks up kind of like he hears something and he starts to growl and that kind of scared me when all of a sudden I heard I mean again so clearly there's just no mistaking this sound but it sounded like somebody walking up the stairs just you know kind of walking through the foyer and then going up the stairs to where I I literally said hello are you did you guys you know kind of like out of the movies like always say why would you hello, what are you doing? Like, you know, so I was definitely that girl in the movies where you're shouting, hello, who's there? But it was just so clear, like the sounds of footsteps, are, like there's just no mistaking what that was. You know, there it wasn't the house making noises. It wasn't, there wasn't another animal in the house that, you know, there was nobody else in the house but me and this dog. And I just heard so clearly somebody walking up the stairs and Roscoe jumped off the bed, was growling like there was somebody there. He went up to wherever it was at the top of the stairs and growled and barked. And eventually he stopped and came back into the bedroom. And I, I definitely didn't sleep that night, that is for sure. And then the last story that I can remember that happened was probably the scariest thing. I was with my boyfriend that night. We were going to sleep and had our backs to each other. I was kind of drifting off, you know, starting to fall asleep. My eyes were getting really heavy when I heard my boyfriend move around and turn and kind of put his his hand on my shoulder. And I turned around and I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, and he looked very startled, like, wait, what? but weren't you just rubbing my my neck and I it kind of like took me a second because like I said I was sort of drifting off so it I had to kind of sit up and I say what what are you talking about and he he just was white as a ghost you know he, you could tell he was trying to process and make sense of whatever had just happened to him but he ended up telling me that he thought that I was just you know trying to be affectionate he felt my hands on the back of his neck rubbing his neck you know like I like I wanted to get intimate and he so you know he turned around and 
that's when it hit him, like, I, I had my back to him. I wasn't even facing him, and he obviously would have felt it if I had made it a point to turn around again after I had been rubbing his neck. And so he looked very freaked out, very, and I kind of sat up and I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. You know, what did it feel like? Tell me everything. And as I'm asking him to tell me what he felt, the door in the bedroom, which was open at the time, slammed shut. I mean, like when you're mad, you're a teenager and you slam your door shut on your parents. That was what it was like. The door slammed shut by itself. I swear, <laughs> I, I've never felt so scared in my whole life. Whatever was in there, I, I just don't know if it wanted me there. I, I don't know. I just, I, I cannot explain how the door just slammed shut on its own. So I, that's uh, pretty much my story. I have lots more details with that house, but I mean, I could be talking for an hour, so I won't do that, but I just wanted to share and hope you enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying your podcast, so keep it up. Thanks. Thank you, Paige. Now, I'm certainly no expert here, but it sounds like some unseen force was putting the moves on, and when it was caught, it stormed out of the room. But again, I'm not an expert. That's a lot to process, Paige. And I certainly don't blame you for freaking out. But I do thank you for relaying the experience to us. That's the kind of story you don't hear all that often. Now, our subsequent entry allows us to also do something we don't get to do very often on the program. Explore water monsters. And here to get us started is Jensen from the state of Arkansas. Hey, Derek. This is Jensen from uh, North Arkansas. I was listening to the uh, Hometown Legends show you have. I think it was like the 10th one or something like that. Anyways, there was a caller that called about the White River Monster, a massive animal, fish, whatever you want to call it, I guess, monster. that used to be in the White River, and it was always reported in like the 30s and stuff. So I thought I'd call you and tell you a little bit more a more recent encounter my dad's always told me about. Him and his buddy were fishing in a john boat on the Buffalo, which goes into the White River, tributary of it. And he said they were trolling downriver and they saw this fish coming upriver. He said it was at least as long as a boat, which is like 15 foot, somewhere around there, maybe a little bit more. And he said as, as wide as a 55 gallon barrel. I asked him what color he thought it was, because I'm pretty sure that collar said they're gray or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but he said he couldn't tell what color. He said just a real dark figure, and he said it scared the crap out of him because of how big it was. And he always just used to tell me, you know, oh, well, yeah, we saw we saw something one day, and he always told me a story of it. And then I was listening to that show, and I'd, I'd never heard of that. I know he hadn't. So I thought I'd call and give you a more recent sighting. Also, that happened in the early 90s so i don't know if there's a database or anybody that knows when those sightings occur still but there's a more recent one than what that caller was calling about so i just thought i'd call you and tell you that story bye thank you jensen i remember that entry clearly 
I even followed up with some information about the creature overturning a Confederate boat during the Civil War. But in reminiscing, I realized that I never really addressed what the legend is. So this is how the creature was introduced on Animal Planet's The Lost Tapes. There's an endless ocean of possibilities for the identity of the White River Monster. It's been seen since the 1800s. 30-year intervals of sightings. Down through the years, there are some strange animals in that river. White River Monster was seen swirling in the waters that looked as big as a boxcar. It apparently lifted their boat out of the water. It's big. It's 15 to 20 feet long. It's one of those things where people talk about it and they wonder if it's down there about to attack them. Now I've also linked to a cool little video slash mini documentary produced by PBS out of Arkansas. If this creature has piqued your interest at all, maybe go to the show notes and check that out. I couldn't help but chuckle a little during Jensen's story because it reminds me of one of my early fishing memories with my dad and his 12-foot aluminum john boat. We came upon some monsters one day, three or four foot long white armor carp, fish that our village had stocked the local reservoir with some years back to help control algae issues. Now when you're 10 years old, a school of four foot fish might as well be a great white. I thought for sure that they'd swamp the boat and sink us. Now I could only imagine the thoughts running through the witness's mind in Jensen's encounter. That creature seemed to be much, much larger. So thanks again, Jensen, for sharing. I always love a good water monster story. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Are you experiencing a lack in motivation? Are you feeling helpless, trapped, detached, fatigued, or even worse? These are symptoms of burnout, and you could be suffering and not even know about it. Now, we normally associate burnout with our jobs, our work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our everyday roles in life can lead us to feeling burned out. Sometimes I myself have a hard time taking a break, whether it's from work or projects around the cabin. But I found that my production and creativity increase after I started forcing myself to take breaks. So maybe you'll benefit as well. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. Personally, therapy has given me the tools I need to deal with my stress and anxiety in a healthier way, so I can be the best version of myself. Now, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Monsters Among Us listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us for 10% off your first month. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. 
So thank you for listening. And back to the stuff that keeps you up at night. Now our upcoming call is another one of those that I had a hard time categorizing. So Ed, from the UK, come on in here and let's figure this out. Hello Derek, my name's Ed. I'm calling from Glastonbury in southwest England. On episode 11 of uh, season 7, you had a caller that spoke about uh, an apparition, a, a figure that he'd seen that looked pixelated. It prompted me to call you because I had an experience with something similar. It was a dark night. I was walking my dog on a, a route from my house that I, that I walk him every day and had never seen anything unusual on. Part of the route comes out of a housing estate into quite a wide alleyway. It's about 30 or 40 foot across with grass verges and, and banks of a footpath going through it. As I walked through it with my dog, the dog stopped to sniff something, a, a, a tree, and I turned around to wait for him to finish. And as I did, I, I jumped in fright at a, at a figure coming towards me. And in the first split second, I obviously assumed it was a person and was about to say to this person, you know, you, you, you scared me. But then after that split second, I realised that the figure was pitch black, absolutely pitch black and sprinting towards me it was the figure of a person but i couldn't see any features other than the the pitch blackness of it as it got towards me and as it was within maybe four or five meters of me it disappeared but as it disappeared i realized that the edges of it were squared and pixelated just like if you're watching a bad quality youtube video and it's from these pixelations that it kind of quickly faded out. Now, I was stood in this alleyway and I thought, I, I need to try and logically dismiss anything this could be. So I looked at where the light sources were. There was, there was a lamp post and I made sure that it wasn't my shadow or the shadow of anything else that, that was casting it or causing this thing to have happened. And I replayed the incident through in my head. And I think the whole experience of actually seeing it lasted about two seconds, two and a bit seconds, which doesn't sound like a long time. But when a pitch black figure is sprinting, and I mean, it was traveling fast towards me and then disappeared out in front of me. When it's happening to you, it seems a lot longer. My sense was, obviously I, I don't know what it was, but my sense was that it's had I not turned round quickly I, I wouldn't have seen it it was something that was coming at me and and just having that quick turn round I I saw something that I perhaps shouldn't have seen or wasn't intended to see uh, needless to say I, I hurried home fairly quickly I didn't linger in in the alleyway but an interesting thing is my dog wasn't affected by it at all and and you often hear that animals in these situations do sense something I think it's really interesting that we have this forum through your podcast where we can share these experiences and note the similarities as well as the differences. It feels like I, I glimpse through the veil into, into something else, a different dimension, different realm, I, I don't know. Um, but certainly as this thing was running at me, I, I think it, it could see me too and didn't want to be seen. Thanks so much for the podcast and uh, I hope this story is of some interest. Bye. Oh, it's of interest, all right. But it's of interest from a distance. 
that's certainly not something you want to run into in a dark back alley. Now, I do remember hearing of other quote-unquote shadow people encounters, where the witness reported the entity sprinting or running. Now, I have no idea what to make of those details. But at the very least, you're not the only one that's reported it at. And of course, it shouldn't go without saying that the pixelated look that Ed described. That's also a hauntingly familiar detail. So keep the stories about these odd pixelated beings flowing, folks. And we'll get to the bottom of it eventually. Thanks again, Ed, for contributing to the lore. So a sizable sample of you listeners ventured over to Patreon for the first extended episode last week. Over there, we discussed a mummy visiting a bedroom, a grandmother's brush with deceased family members, and we ventured down the path of Sasquatch and glowing orbs in the forest. Now that episode and tons of other bonus content is waiting for you over at patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. And of course, tonight's episode will also go beyond. That's what we're calling it over there. And I just want to deliver a big thanks to all of those that help support us over at Patreon. You have no idea how much that keeps the show afloat. Okay, so our next entry takes us to Texas, where Levi has a story for us. Hi, Derek. This is Levi. I'm calling from Texas, but this story happened in Missouri around 2014, 2013-ish. I can't remember the year. But I was on my way home from work. I lived out in the country, quite a ways out of town, uh, where you could see, you know, clear sky, stars. And I was driving home. I was almost home, driving down our dirt road, and had the windows down, and was just enjoying the evening. And as I got almost home, I noticed this light in the sky moving across, and I thought at first it was just an airplane, but I didn't notice any red or green flashing lights on it. And I was like, well, that's kind of odd. And it was moving real slow, and then it stopped. And I was like, well, maybe it's a helicopter. We have military aircraft fly over our property every once in a while because it is out in the middle of nowhere. So I stopped in the road and I was sitting there watching it for a little bit and all of a sudden it darted across the sky and ended up behind me. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit and I looked in the rearview mirror and my side mirror and I kind of looked out the window and noticed that it was now behind me in the air and was just hovering there. Well, needless to say, I kind of freaked out, and since I was almost at my driveway, I took off and drove down my driveway, got home, and when I turned the vehicle off, I saw it. It was still in the same spot, and then it started going the opposite direction of when I saw it the first time. It was heading back the opposite direction, and it was going kind of slow, again, about the same speed as whenever I saw it the first time. And I sat there and watched it, I guess feeling safe because I was at home. And again, I, I thought maybe, you know, it moved really, really fast. And I was like, well, maybe it's still a jet, but I couldn't hear any noise, no jet engine, no helicopter blade. And what really puzzled me was the fact that there was no other blinking lights on it. No red, green lights like you'd see on the commercial aircraft or even the military aircraft. It was just a light, almost, I don't know, 
like an aircraft that you would normally see just without blinking lights. I, I, it's hard to describe, but it's definitely out of the ordinary. And as it made its way back the opposite direction, it turned and then started back across the sky in another direction. And it, it was just weird that it had no real flight plan, no path of travel. It was just kind of, it wasn't erratic and like really fast movements. It just changed direction often and and never really, it didn't seem like it had any sense of knowing where it was trying to go like a regular aircraft would. You know, they fly in a straight line from point A to point B. It just kind of was all over the place. And and then I watched it till it sped off out of the sky and and I didn't really think nothing of it. Didn't want to tell nobody because I really wasn't sure what I saw. But anyways, that's my story. Love your podcast. Love listening to it at work. Helps me help my day go by faster. And you have a good evening, Derek. Thank you, Levi. No, I'm not going to say that this is what you saw. But it has fooled me several times. Up here on our mountain, we run parallel to the approach pattern for LAX, LA's biggest airport. And being a mile up in the air, the perspective is a little wonky. I can watch a plane approach that looks exactly as Levi described, thanks to the landing lights that it's already activated. Now eventually the plane will pass by, and then and only then can I see the red and green signaling lights. Now because these planes are essentially traveling straight toward me, this encounter could last for six, seven minutes, and it seems like the aircraft is hovering, even though I know it's not. Now, as Levi mentioned, the encounter took place in Missouri, so I doubt there are that many spots in the show-me state high enough to achieve the strange optical illusion that I experience up here. So, perhaps this is exactly what Levi said it was, an object flying in the sky that he couldn't identify. An unidentified flying object, if you will. Or simply a UFO. Whatever it was, thank you, Levi, for reporting it. I tell you, I feel like this episode is longer than it should be. Now, if I don't stop rambling, I'll go over my hour for sure. So I'll shut up and allow Dawn in Florida to round this thing out. Hi, Derek. My name is Dawn, and I just started listening to the show probably about a month or so ago, and I have been binging it like crazy, and I love it. Thank you so much for this. I just finished listening to Season 4, Episode 12, and I had to go back and listen to the last story a second time because it blew my mind about the white creature that this lady saw while she was jogging. I don't believe she left her name. But she mentioned that she was in central southwestern Florida, and that is exactly where I grew up, where I still live. And I don't know if I saw the same thing, but I will give you the description of what I saw. So this would have been in 95 or 96, so I guess a little bit before her story took place. And I live in Sarasota, Florida. And... We had a pretty long driveway, and it wasn't... The street that I lived on in and of itself wasn't really out in the middle of nowhere, but there were a lot of woods along my street. 
and it was a barrier island. So one side of the property was water, and then the other side was like an acre with pretty thick foliage. And I was a very hyperactive kid, and in order to basically like burn off some energy, we had a really long driveway. And my dad used to tell me to just like go walk the dog up and down the driveway or like jog up and down the driveway just to like (laughs) get to the point where he could actually get me to go to sleep because I was pretty hyper. So I was about 10 or 11 and I had the dog with me. We had this wonderful Irish setter cross uh, named Hershey and he was about 110 pounds um, and he was the biggest wimp on the face of the planet. Very sweet dog though. So we were walking down the driveway together and between two of the buildings on the property, coming from one of my neighbor's properties, you could kind of see like the woods and stuff like that in the lower portion of their driveway, sort of between these two buildings. There was a creature. I froze and I think that that's my knee-jerk reaction. I was raised in Florida, but we went out west a lot in the Rockies and I was always taught that when you see an animal if you're not sure if you see something that you think is a predator like a bear or whatever you don't run that's the worst thing you can do because you set off their predatory instincts or their prey instincts and so I was always told the best thing to do is stop back away slowly wave your arms you know make yourself look as big as possible whatever but with this thing I could not move I remember being so I don't even think I was scared. I think I was just really shocked and surprised because I couldn't understand what I was looking at. And I remember feeling like my heart was going to hammer out of the front of my chest. I mean, I could literally feel it pounding throughout my whole body. It's crazy. So I'm looking at this thing. And as I'm standing there trying to just comprehend what I'm looking at, the dog just like books it. He leaves me there. So he turns tail and yelps, and I just, like, I think I dropped the leash because I don't even remember, like, he just wasn't there anymore. So I'm now by myself, and I'm looking at this thing, and and I don't remember her really giving much of a description, but I can tell you that the color of it made me think of moonlight. It was so pale that it's almost like it glowed from the inside out. It was so, so pale. It was a summer night. There was a fair amount of moonlight, but it wasn't a full moon. And this thing sort of looked like it could have been a member of the deer family, or maybe it could have been a member of the equine family, except that it looked bipedal. So it was standing upright, and it was very long and lean. And it was huge. I mean, huge. And I mean, given I was a kid, when you're 10 or 11, and I'm not the tallest girl at the party anyway, everything is tall to you. But I mean, this thing was, the top of its head was almost level with the soffit of the building or just above the the soffit of the building next to it. And I stood there staring at this thing for I don't even know how long. And it just stared back on the occasion it sort of like moved its head almost like an animal would I don't know like if a fly were bothering it or something like that the deer that we have in Florida we have some white tail but they don't get nearly as big as some of the ones that you see out west and up north we also have another smaller deer species called a key deer they are super tiny they look almost like a goat and then, you know, I mean, I own horses and been around horses and this was no horse. I have never 
seen anything like this before or since. And after a while, I think I just decided like, okay, you know, it's not coming for me, but it was starting to freak me out. (laughs) So I basically just backed away until like I couldn't see it anymore. And then the second I felt like it wasn't coming for me, I turned around and I ran back up the driveway as fast as I could. And I came in the house and I was clearly shaken. And my dad asked me what was going on. And I told him what I saw. And my dad is a very logical-minded guy, you know, former military, and then he was a fireman for a little while, like very analytical, definitely the dude you want to have around in a crisis because he's not thinking about the crazy stuff. He's just thinking like, okay, what needs to happen next? And I explained it to him and he listened and he's like, just like we were just talking about what we had for lunch that day. He's like, huh, kind of sounds like you saw like a Mothman or something. (laughs) And so then, you know, we, we, he explained to me what a Mothman was. And I mean, I've looked at pictures of Mothmen and maybe I, I can't, I can't really say for sure because I don't remember seeing wings, but I did get the sense that this thing was deeply intelligent and deeply something of the earth. This was not something that I felt like was an alien or anything like that. It was a creature born on Earth was meant to be on Earth. And when it was just looking at me, it was almost like it understood that I was afraid and it wasn't going to, because I was a kid, it it was almost like, you know, it was like, okay, I, I don't mean you any harm or anything like that, but it was really wild. I don't ever want to see that thing ever again, but I don't think it was dangerous. It was just really, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I was not ready to see that thing. Anyway, I, I really wish that color had left a little bit more detail. So that's my story. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. And I would love to know what other callers out there think or if anybody in this area has seen anything like that. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Don. I can't imagine a world where that is not a traumatizing experience. But I'll be damned if I'm not fascinated. Now, what it sounds like you encountered is a pale crawler, a newish cryptid that's often reported from the eastern half of the United States. It's tall, gaunt, pale, big, and pretty much exactly what Don described. Now, many folk assume that this is subterranean somehow. Hence the fact that they're seldom seen. They live in areas with known cave systems and it explains their pale skin. Now, they've been reported from all over, but mostly Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, the Ohio Valley area. But really, like I said, from all over the East. And as Don mentioned, they've even been reported in her neck of the woods. Well, I went back to reference the call that Don had mentioned from Season 4, Episode 12 and realized it's simply too good not to share here again. So all the way from that fourth season episode is our anonymous caller from the state of Florida. Hey, so 2009, uh, the month of February, can't remember the exact date, 4 a.m., around thereabouts. I say that because I was running and uh, didn't have a watch on, but I know I'd left the house free. 
And uh, at that time, I was training for long-distance races, so I was running for hours, and I had to start out really early. And I ran on trails because I was training for... That's what I did. I ran. I still do run trails. So the area I was in, central, southwestern Florida, and there was an interconnected series of wilderness parks that had a trail that was the connection that connected all these areas. Some were more sword civilized than others, <laughs> and some are just sort of preserves, and you could walk or run or bicycle, just by bike, I mean mountain bike, this is a rough kind of trail. Anyway, the area I was in was not too far off from a paved loop for regular bicycles, but I was heading off that part of the park into a much more wilder part. Over the course of several years, I'd been training in this park. I'd seen, you know, bobcats, lots of armadillos, uh, wild boars, all different kinds of raptors, etc. So the biggest creatures I ever ran across were boars, and I never had any problem with them. Anyway, I'm tooling along, and I'm about to take a turn into this wilder area of the park when I see something ahead of me where I'm supposed to be making a right turn into a wilder area. By which I mean, once I turn into that section, it's just a straight shot into, for a good hour or so, maybe two hours, it, it just gets less and less civilized. <laughs> I'm not very articulate right now. It just gets into a wilder area of the park that's not maintained, okay? But it has this trail. Anyway, I'm seeing something ahead of me and hearing something, and I'm very attuned to that because I'm alone in this early part of the day in this park. And, uh, of course, I'm paying attention. I hear like a snuffling sound up ahead, and I think, you know, it sounds kind of like armadillos when they root around, except it's coming from a much higher place, like it's not on the ground. And I, I start to see the movement associated with the snuffling noise. And I mean, I would estimate, because I, I was up pretty close to it, I would say maybe 100 yards away when I noticed it. And as I approached it, I was, you know, running, not fast, trust me. I saw this uh, a movement that was six to seven feet up high, not in the tree, coming from the ground. What I was seeing was, uh, I, I hesitate to say seven feet, but it, honestly, that's what it was. It was really, really tall. And the reason I could see the movement, it was like a half moon in the sky. It, this, this thing was pale white. I couldn't smell anything. They did see something about that tall, seven feet tall, moving. And the more I approached it, the clearer that became, that I was looking at something that was that tall and pale white and shuffling around in this, like, little tight grouping of pine trees, uh, the kind of brushy southern pine. It appeared to be, like, rooting around or messing with the bark or looking for insects or something, that kind of animal behavior. Uh, and I, I, my breath was taken away by the fact that this thing was that tall. You just don't encounter things of that size in the area I was in. I mean, and I, and I thought, I can't believe it hasn't noticed me yet. And seriously, just as I thought that, the snuffling stopped and the, and the, the thing alerted the way an animal does when it recognizes there's something going on around it. So the thing, uh, the, 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 I guess, creature, it's so hard for me to admit that. But it's, I mean, what else? Anyway, it alerted, like pause, stopped. The snuffling ended, the movement stopped. And by movement, it was, the movement I was discerning was like 
natural, like uh, animal movement, like it, all appearances other than the giant size of this thing and the pale color of it, it was acting just like an animal would. So it froze in my heart. I just, something that large pursues me. I'm alone. You know, I have a, like a little running knife. That's all I've got. I was terrified. The only thing I could do was decide not to take off into, onto that wild part of the trail. I decided I'm going to go back to the paved loop and take an entirely different route, and God help me. So I just start to do that. I, I, I take a left, and I, I just take off, and I think, it chases me. You know, what am I going to do? And I'm, I'm basically thumbing through my brain trying to think, okay, what are things I can do if this animal decides to pursue me? And it didn't. Yeah, uh, I just kept going and going. I mean, I'm sheer adrenaline, and I, I can't even remember the route I took. It was just some other, like, BS route to get me back to my car. And I remember thinking, how am I ever going to run this route again? I'm going to be terrified of that, that one area, but I'd never that creature never returned. I wish there'd been someone else with me to see this. I even inspected the area it was rooting around in, and I didn't see anything unusual. Like I said, there was no smell associated with this creature that was of, you know, so skunk baby stink. Plus, in reading about trying to follow up on this, the color of this creature seems to stand out. Like, sightings of, like, you know, big footish type creatures in Florida never say that the creature is pale white. Also, the skunk ape part, there was no stink with this creature. I mean, nothing profound or anything like that. There was no stinky smell. And it it was just so damn tall. Um, I've never forgotten it. And it made me realize, you know, what am I doing out here? In the, if I encounter something like that, I mean, I am all alive. I, I did keep training, though. I did keep running, and I never had that happen. I never ran into anything like that for years. I mean... All the way up to the end of 2016, I ran those trails, and I never, ever saw anything like that again. So I don't know if anybody else has ever encountered, like, a seven-foot-tall white uh, creature in the woods, but I'd love to know if they did. Thank you. Bye. I'm kicking down that fourth wall real quick. This is Derek from a day after writing the script for this week's episode. So here's the weirdest thing that happened to me in a while. I wrote this episode over the weekend so I can get out to the Brago Triangle for a few days to do some work on our upcoming film. So I chose the stories and wrote most of the episode between Saturday morning and Saturday night. Then I woke up on Sunday morning and noticed a post on our Facebook group. A post that struck me like a bolt of lightning. This post was made five or six hours after I pulled, edited, and wrote in the call, which she's referencing. And that post goes as follows. Hey everyone, I told my story many seasons ago about encountering a very tall, pale animal-slash-creature in the Lower Hillsboro Wilderness Preserve. At the time, I didn't identify the location because I was not legally accessing it. I was training for long-distance runs, but I also had a day job, so I was running on the trails in the preserve pre-dawn, which was not the official open hours. I had the place to myself, and it's huge and swampy. I did this for almost seven years. 
My criminal days are behind me now. Anyway, I've had a Google alert set up ever since for quote-unquote white Bigfoot because I'm still, after all these years, consumed with curiosity about what I encountered. Well, lo and behold, that's the exact same caller that left the mystery story from Season 4, Episode 12. Now, I'm not sure I'm eloquent enough to convey how bizarre this quote-unquote coincidence actually is. Our mystery caller had absolutely no way of knowing I was essentially editing her five-year-old call at the very moment she decided to write in about it. Look, I found it odd, and I'm hard to impress these days. And how about that, Don? There's at least a few questions answered. And by my estimates, the two distances are less than 60 miles apart. Which, in my opinion, is nothing for a nocturnal, subterranean, 10-foot-tall monster. So keep your eyes open, West Florida. And a big thanks to our anonymous caller. And a big thanks to Don. It's uncanny how similar the two sightings are. So I wonder, after all this time, is that thing still there? And that's going to do it for this episode. But before I go, at the beginning of every season, I like to do a special episode. A themed episode towards one profession or hobby. And since we're halfway through season 13, it's time to get to work. So the next themed episode will simply be transportation. Now we did truckers in the past, but we left a lot of people out. So if you drive a taxi, if you fly a plane, drive a ferry boat, you work on vehicles, anything related with transportation, we want to hear from you. So when you leave your story, be sure to mention the word transportation in the first sentence or two so I can do a smart search and find your entry. Now I'll continue to remind you guys over the next couple weeks to get those calls in early and make it easy on me. Now Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you like the show and want to help out, please consider leaving us a rate and review wherever possible. And if you're on the web, why not follow us on social media? We have accounts at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And it's the best place to get updates and the most recent announcements. And finally, music from tonight's episode was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, co.ag music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. I'm so glad you stuck around, because tonight's secret story comes to us from the bluegrass state of Kentucky.
please join me in welcoming Mara to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Mara from Kentucky. And my sister and I both love the podcast. So when I told her this story, she was like, oh, my God, you should totally call that in. So here it goes. I'm 16 and I have a job in an ice cream shop that's around like a 10-minute drive from my house. To get there every day, I pretty much just drive one long back road straight from where I live to the store. And this road is pretty rough. It has super sharp curves and very little railing. And the railing it does have is completely destroyed from the copious amount of accidents that happen on it. And it can be a pretty tough drive sometimes, especially at night. One day I was driving home from work at around 9.30 and I was headed to a friend's house. As I started to drive on this back road, I had my windows down and my music up because it's summer and I hear a really loud knocking coming from the back of my car. My immediate thought is that something is wrong with my car and that I'm going to break down because of the sheer volume of the noise. I turn my music down and I listen to see if the noise would happen again. And sure enough, while I'm still driving, I hear on my back windshield the loudest knocking I have ever heard in my life. I'm kind of taken aback by this, naturally, so I put my windows up and I keep driving because, I mean, what else am I supposed to do? I convinced myself that it was probably just a branch or something falling from a tree or maybe even my imagination, and I keep driving. About three minutes go by, and I'm listening to my music again, and randomly, without me even touching my phone, Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash starts playing, which is weird because I don't have that song downloaded, and I didn't have any service on this road, so I just shrugged it off and changed the song. The song I choose plays for not even five seconds before directly switching back to Ring of Fire. I tried changing the song about five more times and the same thing kept happening. I assumed that my Spotify was hacked because that has happened to me before and decided to use Apple Music for the time being. Sure enough, I play a song on Apple Music and about 20 seconds in, it switches to Ring of Fire. Now at this point, I'm a little bit freaked out and I decided that if I can't change the song, I was just going to turn the volume down until I made it to my friends. I turned the volume down on my phone, set it in the cup holder and kept driving. Not even three seconds later, the song starts playing at full volume again, which I was like, okay, fine, my phone is glitching out. So I turned the actual volume knob on my car down, and sure enough, about 10 seconds later, the LED volume logo pops up, and the music turns up all the way on its own. At this point, I'm about three minutes from my friend's house, and I'm pretty scared, so I'm trying to convince myself that this one's some type of Bluetooth crossfire or something. Right as I'm turning into the neighborhood my friend lives on, a deer, out of nowhere, just runs in front of my car, and I have to slam on my brakes. Just as I do that, Ring of Fire stops playing, and my music comes to the speakers. I parked my car, I ran inside, and I didn't mention anything to anyone until the next morning, because I didn't want to seem crazy. So I was just wondering if you had any logical explanation for that that you could offer. Thanks. Thanks, Mara. A logical explanation, you say? Okay, here it goes. Perhaps one of your jokester friends snuck into your trunk before you left the ice cream parlor. Maybe this friend knew the destination beforehand. Maybe that part is irrelevant. Now, maybe said jokester was pounding on the inside of the trunk, and when that didn't gain your attention, they hijacked your Bluetooth or maybe even had a remote to the stereo, depending on how old or fancy it is. And as Mara said, she jumped out when she arrived at her friend's, leaving ample time for a clean getaway. So how close was I, Mara? Does any of that sound feasible? Thanks for the opportunity to debunk. And of course, 
Thank you for calling in. And a reminder, this is where the regular program stops. And we venture beyond. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please join us over at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast and join the $5 level. And we'll see you there. Now, over here beyond, I have an array of wild entries I'm just itching to share. Like this one from Carly in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, my name's Carly. Uh, I called once before. I'm out in the Pacific Northwest, and I wanted to share the story. It's not really a monster, per se, but it's weird. So, I grew up in a small town, 